Welcome to episode four of What's That Sound podcast. My name's Stu Watts, and today my guest is Nicholas DiLorenzo of Panorama Mixing and Mastering. Today we talk about why learning by teaching is so important. Uh, having an in-depth understanding of the tools will make you a better mixer and mastering engineer, as well as why having systems in place makes your workflow that much quicker. It's a great discussion. I can't wait for you to hear all about it. Stay tuned. What's That Sound podcast. You're listening to What's That Sound with your host, Stu Watts. Well, welcome to another episode of What's That Sound podcast. Today, my guest is Nicholas DiLorenzo from Panorama Mixing and Mastering. Thanks, Nick, Thank um, for joining me today. Thanks always, for me always a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having me, and I'm super excited. You, um, you're super accommodating, especially <laughs> with with this setup and just jumping in. Yeah, yeah. I really yeah, appreciate make it. Make so. it happen where I can. Exactly. So. Happy to be nah, here. Awesome, man. Well, um, I mean, let's kick it off with you know a little bit about yourself, um, just a bit of a background of what it is and what you do currently, and then we'll we'll get into the uh, how you got here conversation. Yeah, so I run a mastering studio as a mastering engineer. Um, what that means for me in my day, as I was explaining when I got in, it means not only doing sessions but managing the business, jumping on calls at 5.30 in the morning and having a baby puke all over your laptop <laughs> and try and manage calls in between that and actually getting your business done and getting the kids off to school and then getting into work and once you get into work... It's not just, like I say, it's, it's, it's a million things I'm doing now. So yeah, it's not just are. the studio. It's um, a lot of like content education and um, actually just my relationships B2B with other producers and engineers. Yeah. And it's, it's, you are a busy man. You're yeah. one of the busiest people I know. I would, I would bet my life on it that yeah. you're up there in the top five busiest people I know. <laughs> so. yeah, it, it's hard to put it into a, into like a, this is what I do. And people are like, oh, that's what you do. It's like. It's a so little bit of what I do. <laughs> so many tentacles to it, but yeah. Yeah. Nah, beautiful. And um, let's let's talk a little bit about your background. Where did music come into, into play for you? Was it always something that was integral in your life or did it kind of start later in life or? Well, I've, I've had a, I've, I've been as a career musician, according to the Wiggles fan newsletter of 1997, um, a performing musician because there was a little photo of me there with like a, a drum and guitar and stuff <laughs> where I was um, there. So, so no, it's, it's, you know, like I enjoyed music from a young age and then I learned piano and drums and then yeah, recorded bands in school and then sort of just migrated there. But, you know, my first foray was on the Wiggles um, fan newsletter, 1997, thereabouts. So I've, I've been in the media for a long time. I've been impressed with <laughs> in the, in the highlight for a long, long time. <laughs> And um, were you always interested in tech? Because you're, you're obviously, you're an analytical brain. I mean, you, if anyone's seen your YouTube, if you haven't, please check it out. It's amazing. The depth that Nicholas goes into on his YouTube channel for the smallest little details of, of, of mastering and mixing and things like that is crazy. Um, but was the technical side of music always a big thing for you or did that again come later in life? Um, it was not that I've, I was ever really that good at it. Mm. Like I was always excited by the technology. Mm. Oh, wow. These can do these things. Mm. And, um, 
and especially being younger, you have a more immature mind, or at least I did. Mm-hmm. So I'd try and run before I could even walk. Yeah, yeah. I'd be like, yes, I'm going to get, like, I got this, like, multi-track mixer and all these microphones and tried to mic up the drums. And I'm like, oh, it's going to sound great because I read, you know, all in, like, forums and I think gear sluts at the time. And, yeah. oh, you know, this is, yeah. and then, like, I, it was just absolutely shocking what I was putting out. So, like, I, I always loved the technology side and it wasn't until, you know, you get your ass kicked a little bit in the industry to actually understand the pedigree, the level, the commitment to what people put in to actually produce great sounding records mm. that you actually go, oh, okay, um, I'm going to eat some humble pie here and yep. get back to basics and yeah. take the time and patience to really understand what's happening, what's going on, how I can make the most of my the technology I have around me to mm-hmm. create great sounding records. So you got a multi-track uh, recorder. What age is that? I had I had one when I was, um, I had like a 10-track Yamaha when I was, 14 mm-hmm. and then before I started uni it would have been year 12 I got like a 24 track Beautiful. a big Allen and Heath um one and I had no fucking clue what I was doing <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so like oh cool I can plug lots of shit into here and it looks good because there's like lots of knobs and stuff and yeah and the output was pretty average to say the least yeah and you do you studied yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, I st- yep. studied at, at RMIT and mm-hmm. that was good. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think that that was good and fair, um, especially for my age at the time because I was, you know, young and out of high school and um, I needed that structure, so to mm-hmm. speak. The the information was super rudimentary. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's like it's super basic. You can find half the information out on YouTube, but I think the learning structure was important for me because I was just very young. Yeah. Had a bit of immaturity to myself. Yeah. So I needed that guide. I couldn't have ever done that independently. You know, yeah. I wasn't geared towards that at the time. And I think it's just a cool environment. I studied at NMIT, so I did TAFE. You know, I was like, yeah, TAFE instead of uh, actual university. So it was a little bit different. But I think the actual environment and just being around people that are also interested in music and learning how music works in a different way to just playing guitar or playing drums or something like that. It's, it's just cool to be in that environment and having those sorts of conversations on the daily. I think that was one thing for me that was, that was always really fun. And you just got to geek out a bit when you wouldn't normally in everyday life, unless you're in a band or something like that. I think, I think that was something that I really took from school as well, but, um, that's awesome, man. Did you, um, have any musical idols back in the day? Who who were they? Who were they for you? Uh would have been like Ben Folds. Yep. The Eels. The Raconteurs. Like I really liked that. Ah, uh, so like um yeah. who else? Um Oh, I was a big fan of Pomplamoose before they like blew up. I've never heard of them. Oh wow, really? Jack no. Conti, the guy who owns um Patreon. Okay. Him right. and his partner have like a duo. They do like really cool cover. Uh, they call video songs where they film every instrument being performed on the record, like a multi cool. track, and then they make it a video song, like as in like a video clip, but like you see yeah. every moving part. Yeah, so that's, that's cool. Yeah, just like, yeah, it was, it was, it was very music music in terms of yeah. like, you ben know, folds. yeah, unbelievable, exactly. unbelievable yeah. stuff. Was there any, uh, you like, producer idols any engineering idols that you were aware of or was it just music not that i not that i really understood Mm. like i'd read like a sound on sound or this Mm -hmm. at the other and you'd see names like andrew sheps or this at the other to be honest i didn't know what the fuck they were doing at the time like as in like i didn't understand that process well enough i didn't have enough of an appreciation of the craft to be like it but i just saw their name alongside other famous stars i'm like 
oh, they're really cool. Yeah. And not actually understanding yep. more about it. Yep. And so after, was it during you were the time that you were at university or after it that you started um, working in the studio as, as a, um, you know, as a, as a, uh, what's the word? An assistant. Uh, uh, during, 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 yep. intern and assistant during yep. and freelance during. Yep. Um, yeah. Uh, Tell just, us a little bit about that. What was that like? Uh, freelance was very interesting because I sucked at recording yep. and I was still doing a freelance. Um, and the only reason why I think I got away with it because people were really nice. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, like they were friends and stuff like that and you're doing them a favor. So, so they're kind in their words, they're kind in their gesture. Then moving into an internship position, you know, you get your ass kicked a little bit because you're like, oh wait, I'm actually really bad at this. Yeah. Um, so did you, you weren't aware of that at the time? That nah, you, no, no way, because were... I had control over the the workflow, the yep. the way things are put together. Mm-hmm. I could do things in my own time. So yep. it wasn't really uh, conducive to a, a, a commercially productive career. Yep. Um, it was just me doing my own shit and people pay me 50 bucks. Yeah. There. So it's like, okay, you know, is what it is. Um, and then going into an internship, it's sort of like, okay, no, no, no. There's a lot more structure. There's a lot more like boundaries, which are set in terms of just even the relationship between the artist, the engineer, the intern and the way things are set up. And mm-hmm. I realized, wow, I'm like really far behind on mm-hmm. where I should be if I want to make it something serious. Mm. Um, so recording never ended up being for me in terms of actually being a recording engineer. Yeah, And then getting an assistant position and mastering studio was a bit different because mm-hmm. that was like, Okay, I understood the structure, understood what I needed to do, and also the 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 way you engage in the craft was much more conducive to like my just just like what suited my personality and mm-hmm. what I needed and how I operated. So um, yeah, it was it's a pretty rapid like in what way like because obviously okay, you you yeah. you've recorded sessions here. Yeah, you know how artists can be in terms of timeliness, in mm-hmm. terms of the time you start and finish sessions, mm-hmm. in terms of um even just ebb and flow of a session in Mm. terms of their creativity, especially if you've got multiple, you know, musicians and one wants to do guitar tracking now or another one is restringing when they're meant to start, you know, doing a rhythm (laughs) section. Like I just wasn't good at managing those moving components. I didn't have the interpersonal skills to make that. Right. You go into a mastering studio, the mixes are done, everything's set. Yep. And you just have to sit down, listen, and then make decisions. Um, and you don't have to stay until one in the morning or two in the morning mm-hmm. or whatnot. So much better for me. Right. And you figured that out pretty quickly that I was like, Oh yeah. Was it like immediate as soon as you. Oh, it was like, it, it was like the, 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 like literally the first day interning. Yeah. Um, because like I said, I was infatuated by the technology, but I really didn't understand number one, a lot about it. Number yeah. two, um, the workflow in a, in a professional setting. Mm-hmm. So I jump in the studio and I'm telling the lead engineer what mics we should be using on the drums. Mm. I was like, and, and that was super nice. Like most engineers would bite your head off, but super nice. Yeah. Just pull me aside. Hey, no, you're excited and that's cool. But just letting you know, I'm running the show here. I was yeah. like, okay, fair enough. That's, that, that's fair. Um, at the time it's like, you know, you're just so excited. So yeah, anyway. It's a hard but, pill to swallow to be yeah. told, hey, step back and uh, know your place a little bit. Yeah, but they, but they did it in a really, well, in, in a really kind-mannered way. So it was like, okay, I was able to take it on constructively. Mm, yeah. I mean, there, there's a number of ways that that could go wrong. I mean, I had one experience in an AV job and it went the opposite way. The the guy who was in charge of it just, oh, 
give me that. I'll do it. I'll just go and move some stuff. And it was like immediately turned me off that world. And I know a lot of people in AV that really love that side of things and have good mentors or leaders in that and they love it. But for me, anytime I hear that, you know, hear stories about the AV world and stuff, I just immediately a negative experience. So it definitely could have gone another way. So it's great that you had someone that was able to give it to you gently. So when you do, do you take that sort of approach when you have to give feedback to people in and how often do you have to give that sort of pe- uh, feedback to people? Is it something that's in your everyday life or which, which sort of people like my clients well, and, or? Yeah, your clients, anyone that you're working alongside, Anything um, like that? So, so with my clients, it's it's pretty black and white mm-hmm. um, because they come to me with we want to achieve X Y Z. Yep. So it's not necessarily me having to be gentle or harsh. It's me just being black and white and being going, okay, well, you said you want your record to sound X Y Z, and where it's currently sitting, mm-hmm. you know, these changes would have to be made. Please consider them. It's not really personal. Yeah. It's just objective minded. Yeah. Um, and like I said at the start of this, I have a lot of relationships B2B with other engineers and producers. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm much more blunt with them than that situation that happened with myself only because there's a lot more on the line for them. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of producers and engineers, they're trying to make a career. They have a lifestyle, like not lifestyle like we're living richly, but in terms of, you know, they might have families or, yep. or, or people they're responsible for or mm-hmm. a mortgage and stuff they have to take care of. And I don't think uh, at least in my sense, um, being kind with the way I tell them advice or give them advice when they ask for it is going to help them. I'd just blunt and tell them, look, this is what you've said and this is the way I see it. Yep. This is the reality of it. Take it or leave it mm. and, and and leave it there only because um, I let them understand the gravity of you know, their career. And if, if they're, if they're trying to make something of it or trying to stay above board, Mm -hmm. what actually has to happen? Because, um, we're in a creative industry and means we have a lot of creative minds here, but that doesn't necessarily link up with, uh, sustainable business practices all the time. You're absolutely right. I, um, I want to take it back again, um, to how your learning style has changed over time. And if there's any kind of advice that you can impart on people that are listening to who are just starting out and, you know, the ways that you refined your learning over time. So how, how that looked in the start versus how it looks now. Yeah. In the start, I wasn't really learning. I was just doing a whole bunch of shit and then figuring out what worked, um, which is, you know, not bad, but it's not necessarily good. Mm. Um, now I try and use as many resources at my fingertips to to, and and also as many different sorts of resources at my fingertips to to learn new things and understand mm-hmm. more about my process, both business wise and practice wise, in terms of how I work with audio, and mm-hmm. um, whether that be books or courses or going to talk to people or engaging in workshops or um, even like one of the best ways to learn is to teach. Yeah. Um, because it's really funny. I, I, I do have a YouTube channel and I'm putting stuff out there constantly. But as I'm doing that, I'm realizing how much of the stuff, like like I might touch on one topic. An example would be like um, FabFilter Pro L2, yep. the limit up. Yep. I'll touch on that topic once. Mm-hmm. And then I'll come across, oh, wait, as I look deeper into it, I'm like, oh, shit, that was completely wrong. And then, yeah. you know, I was like, okay, no, no, no. Now, now I have to reteach this. And when you try and articulate you know, your practice and, 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 um, 
give advice, you're very careful with your words because you want you you, you want other people to extract accurate accurately number one mm-hmm. and number two uh, usefully so you know yeah. you can say a whole bunch of fancy words like oh, intermodulation distortion and, <laughs> uh, and uh, you know uh, uh, um, second and third order harmonics and people are like oh that's so cool and oh, oh wow and um but that means crap unless yeah. they can really understand what that is how it's implemented the yeah. practicalities of, of of certain terminology so then you you become so when you have to explain something specifically mm-hmm. and with intent you you, you start like I'll, I'll put plans together and I'll read and I'll go, this doesn't actually make any sense. Yeah. What's going on yeah. there? And then you relearn something as you're, that you've thought you've learned only for the purpose of making it more articulate and helping someone else. You're actually helping yourself because you, yeah. you, you, you get a deeper understanding of, of what you're doing. Well, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's all, I correlate that to like when people are studying for, you know, university or whatever, one of the best ways some people learn is by, you know, rewriting all of the stuff yeah. that they've learned about. And that's, that's, that's one form of what you're doing is, but you're just putting it out into the public. So yeah. yeah. And, and does that, um, is that confronting in any way or do you really like that when people have something to say to you? Oh, maybe you want to check that out. Or, no, no, I, yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. Like um, so many things, uh, the, the limiter, the attack time on the Fabfields Prowl 2, mm-hmm. I called on, fair enough. Yep. Um, one of the equations I used on a video quite a while back on advanced time domain calculations yep. was like, bluntly wrong like and, and and then i looked at it i'm like holy fuck like half of it like for capacitor discharge and charge times was completely right which was awesome people love that yeah but the, the other one was like and and i looked at it and go what the f- what was i doing there that, that's like fundamental 101 math yeah. is like so and then i get pulled up on that the the, the standard clipper you know i you know, somebody, and it was actually funny. Somebody's like, oh, you know, you're not using it properly. And I'm like, yes, I am. Mm. Not because I was being stubborn, just because I was relatively confident that it was. And then uh, I think it was like, this is actually for a video I'm shooting later today. Um, I've realized, oh no, wait a second. I'm really wrong on how I'm using this. And yeah, it's just, I, I, I invite it and I'll, I enjoy it because yeah. it's like, cool. I, I learned something better. It's yeah. Good. I mean, the, the, the thing that strikes me as you being different and why I love working with you is your wantingness to really unpack everything and have a really thorough understanding. Me, for example, I am more, I guess, going on vibe and I love producing and working with people and building their songs. And, you know, when it comes to a mixing standpoint, it's very much not, I'm not, in any way saying that you're not listening because you're absolutely are. But for me, I'm not as wanting to dive deep into every little aspect, but that is what I love about you and what I really value about you as a colleague and someone that is sharing with YouTube, YouTube and your courses and stuff like that. What, what is it about diving into, into every little thing that, that, that you really love? It's it's just an understanding of the craft. It becomes mm. like an extension of yourself. It's like when we learn um, uh, primary and secondary colors. Mm. We learn our primary colors and mm. then we know how secondary colors are made. Yep. Yep. And we're like, oh, wow. So mm. yellow and red make orange. Mm-hmm. Cool. That That's that sort of like input and output and then yeah. then then you start thinking of audio similarly so you go okay like we've got a, we've got a signal that's passing through mm-hmm. we've got the source signal it passes through it might be routed through a bus or mm-hmm. goes through a set of inserts and then like how is that 
that affected. signal mm. affected, mm. but and then so so what what's happening to affect it? Mm. Okay, and what what is the net result of that? Mm-hmm. And then it goes through its output stage, and then you're like, okay, well, um, to have intentionality behind what you're doing, it's it's mm. really useful to understand what goes yeah. on behind it. Um, and whilst whilst people can look at that and go, oh, you know, just use your ears, you know, mm. just if it mm. sounds good, it sounds good. Mm. It's like that's great. Mm. That really is. Um, and I'm sort of like reading in my mind my script for my next video, but it's sort of like, <laughs> but, but the reality is it's, it's, it's good to a point, but I know so many people who do things in sessions and they mm. can't recreate it. Mm. So they're like, oh, that sounded good on this, this yeah. single for the album, but I can't get it happening mm-hmm. on this next one. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, if, if let's reverse engineer, what's actually mm. happening there? You're not just throwing on a compressor. It might not just be a fast attack time. What is the signal going in there? What is actually mm. happening to that signal? How is it coming out? And to recreate that, if you have a better understanding of your tools, of your application of those tools, of how the the, the sound wave or it's it's DSP, so it's it's not necessarily voltages, but the zeros and ones change. Mm. You you have better practice and application to 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 have be- that that intuition to make mm. those changes. So that's that's where it comes from me because you've seen yeah. the nitty gritty I get into, mm. and it's stupid. Like I I <laughs> even even looking at some of it, I'm like, what am I doing? It's like I I I, I get why I'm doing it, but. It's 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 overkill because like ninety nine percent of people won't appreciate it. But it's like once you do that process consistently over many records, over you know, it it all adds up. And I and you know I, I think I've also got an obligation because I'm at a point now with with my mastering work where I'm I'm in a sort of demand and the price point I'm at or mm. commanding. I, I I don't want to just like piss on people's time and effort mm. that they spend mm. in a mix like. I, genuinely oh, got yeah. to put in the effort to make sure that it sounds as good as I know I can possibly give them. Yeah, it's huge. And I think you make a really good point in the sense of you don't have to do absolutely everything that you do on your channel. You know, you don't have to explain everything, but you do. And the understanding that the viewer isn't going to take on absolutely everything that yeah. you explain, but the things that they do take, and we all do it. We take certain things from certain videos. We like certain engineers workflow on how they set up mics on a drum kit or how they process a channel or, you know, using effects routing or anything like that. We might not like absolutely everything that this one specific engineer does, but the pieces of gold from you know, that one video that you might do where you explain L2 limiter, we might take one of those things and use it in our workflow and it just makes it that much better. And for me, that's where I gain value from watching any sort of, you know, tutorial or anything. I'm not going to do every single thing the way that that engineer does it, but I'm going to take these little, little nuggets of wisdom and try it out next time and see if it works for me. And, um, It's huge. I love it. Yeah. Hey, thanks so much for listening so far. There is plenty more to come, so don't go anywhere. I just wanted to let you know that this podcast is made completely independently by myself with no sponsors. So if you like what you hear and you would like to show your support, you can send a donation to the PayPal link, paypal.me slash what's that sound. The link is also in the show notes. Thanks so much for your support and let's get back to it. Let's get let's get a little bit geeky, okay? And let's talk about some of your favorite, um, whether it's now or in the past, pieces of gear and why. Mm. 
I don't know if I have any favourites. <laughs> like that's um, well, let's not even say favourites, but maybe just uh, something that you're loving using at at the moment and why you're loving using it. Uh, actually, you know what? It's not going to be at the moment. It's going to be in the past. Cool, cool. Um, so the the Tannoy Gold Jewel Concentric okay. speakers. Okay, they were very impressive to listen to. They, mm-hmm. they, when I was assisting at Eden Sound, they had them in the room there. Yep, and they just had a, a great, impressive soundstage. Mm-hmm. What, what do you listen for? At the time, I don't, I can't remember. I was very young, and I was just <laughs> listening, and I go, "Wow, these these sound incredible." Yeah, um, those, those those are probably the most like sort of wow sort of moment. Mm-hmm. A lot of the gear I use, it's 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 good for my workflow and whatnot, but nothing sort of like stands out mm-hmm. as going, "Oh, I could not live without this." Like mm-hmm. it's it's there, mm-hmm. it does its job, and and I'm happy for it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a gear that's really outstanding. Yeah, th- th- those those really yeah took me by well, surprise. What, what makes what what's your decision process when you're choosing, um, you know, pieces of gear for your studio? Um, not much because I don't tend to get too much often. Uh, the dangerous convert AD plus I just got was sort of like a <laughs> that that one was. So I'll give I'll I'll, I'll say one thing. Um, uh, especially because I'm assuming a lot of the audience will be from Australia yeah, for this podcast so, yeah. uh, in the pro audio game. Uh, where do I come? Where do I come in this being gentle um, about it? The, the pro audio game in Australia uh, service reliability and support is what you need, mm-hmm. need to look for because you're not just spending a couple hundred bucks and you can go replace it. So, so these converters were, that I got was uh, paid well over four grand mm. for, and these mm. are just two channels of, analog to digital conversion. Yep. Um, and previously I've used Antelope. Now Antelope's firmware support, and I can say this because mm-hmm. I experienced it, is shit. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. It's how much would have I paid eight years ago for it? In the thousands. Mm-hmm. No, not even, it, was, it was quite, it was probably three, three, four thousand dollars mm-hmm. um, for, for, for my Antelope converters. Their mm-hmm. firmware support for latest OS into oblivion. <laughs> as soon as they bring out a new unit, the old one they don't support. So it's like, okay, I'm limited. I, the reason why I was getting new converters is because my old ones cacked it. Yeah. I'm like, yep. okay, I got to get new ones. Um, so, so I call a buddy of mine over in LA. I'm like, okay, this is the situation. Uh, I know you've got a few different models. What would you recommend to replace? And he goes, oh, um, either the Antelope Pure 2 or the Dangerous Convert AD+. Like, okay, cool. Fortunately, we had a dangerous AD plus here in Australia because actually when I was over in the States speaking to the dangerous team, they don't even have any in stock at the moment. They're like, how the fuck do you get your hands on that? (laughs) The reason why I didn't go with Antelope, because even though the Pure 2 is a much newer unit, no more support support. on the OS. No more support on the OS. Why? And they're selling it. They're selling it for, you know, it's still costing people. I think what's the, what's the pure two like? It's still like four, four, five, four, four, four and a half thousand dollar units. The same as the dangerous, but no firmware support. Yeah. Really? Yeah. No, no, thank you. But I think it's, it's, again, it's, it's another really interesting point that people probably don't take the time to think about is making uh, decisions based on your timeliness. And you're someone that is very, you know, to a T, you have to be with your schedule, yeah. your, and it's so important. And why would you waste your time yeah. and hours on, yeah, on work company, trying yeah. to figure something out? 
and and I'll give you I'll give you another example in terms of good support. Uh, Manly, mm-hmm. Manly, my tubes went out on the on the very. I probably should have had spares, mm-hmm. but I didn't know which one I needed. That was so on top of getting me mm-hmm. tubes sent out to here during COVID, mm-hmm. so I could keep working. That was just yeah on the money, super nice um, to deal with, you know. And and you got to you got to look at that because you're not just making an investment in the product; you're making an investment mm-hmm. in the company, and if the company will back you with that product. Um, when I got my Neumanns, one of them came out of the box, uh, not sounding good. Like I think mm. because of the way it was wrapped and it's a sealed box, it fucked the cone up a bit right. or whatnot. And like literally in a week I was able to just drive, drive down, I think it was to factory sound and they just like swapped it straight over. Yeah. Beautiful. That's good. Mm-hmm. Um, you need that because you're spending mm. tens and tens and tens and tens of thousands of dollars on gear. Um, I, I <laughs> put it this way, when you're spending, <laughs> when you're spending that sort of money on gear, all the gear sounds good, okay? Yeah. All yeah. of it has its purpose. All of it has its, you know, they're not using cheap parts. It's mm. it's, it's good quality stuff mm-hmm. all around. Um, so my biggest decision maker is like service and support. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. I want to um, go back to Sonics and mm. um, in a mastering session, I mean, if if no one, if, if you don't have an understanding, understanding of what, the mastering process is like, um, it's very specific. Um, I mean, obviously every mastering engineer would have a slightly different workflow, but usually it's a, it's quite a similar process. There's the listening aspect. There's the decisions of what moves to make. They're usually very subtle moves that complement the track that you're listening to and, you know, making it sound great at the end to get it to a certain point. I'm making this sound very remedial, but when, I, I, what I want to know is what decisions you make based on how much color you impart on a track. Um, what what are you listening for when you go, I need to push this harder or I need to keep this in its original state? Um, it's probably a very difficult question. Sorry, yeah, that, 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 that's, that's a bit of a weird question. <laughs> usually I don't want to be doing anything, to be honest. If okay. it's a good mix, you know, I can usually sit back and, and be pretty transparent. And by transparent, I mean... Uh, by measures of for audio fidelity, which is uh, introduction of uh, any additional noise, mm-hmm. distortion, change in tone or change in phase. Um, noise being in harmonic forms of distortion, distortion being harmonic forms of distortion. But th- those are the four different sort of ways a signal can get uh, manipulated or mm-hmm. altered, um, which degrades the original signal. So uh, if it's a good mix, I try and avoid using things like uh, harmonic distortion or mm-hmm. clipping and mm-hmm. elements like that. Um or, or even tone in terms of using too much EQ to reshape it. If it's mm-hmm. a good mix, you know, soft with the compression, um, being very careful about how I gain stage in and out of certain processes, not to impart too many harmonics, especially when you're going out in the analog chain mm-hmm. um, and keep things open, clean, manually yeah. edit things down. Um, now, if it's a bad mix, mm. that's where I'm a bit more inclined to get a little bit more heavy handed because, uh, and by bad mix, I mean, typically the tone is out. Mm-hmm. So it's like, not enough low end or too much low end or too bright and too harsh or whatnot. Um, Mm -hmm. Or it's too dynamic and like the Mm -hmm. section's just all over the place. Then I'll get a bit more heavy hand. I'll be like, okay, I might have to use some parallel compression here. Mm -hmm. Smooth things out across the board. So it's a bit more even going from the verses to the choruses. Um, The low end is like just super subby, but there's no real low mid. So I might, you know, sort of tame that off and add a bit more harmonic saturation. Mm -hmm. So it translates better. Um, so I'm listening to the mix itself and if it's in a good pocket, I, I tend not to get heavy handed because if it's, you know, that, that, you know, just, yeah. it works. Just leave it, it as it is. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. No, it's, a, it's, it's, 
it's great. I think, but you're aware of that decision of, you know, over the years of listening to thousands and thousands of songs, you know what a great mix sounds like and what, what needs work. And um, it's, it's really cool to be like, no, nah, you know what? I'm just going to leave this one because it sounds great as is. And that's probably like the ideal thing for, to, to come in for you. Yeah. Or do you really enjoy working on stuff that doesn't sound that great and being no, like, okay, no, no, I get be, to be creative here? Because it's, it's – it's, I think what it is is when you have a really good mix, it is a challenge mm-hmm. to make something loud. Mm-hmm. So have a really good mix, mm-hmm. drive it. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's loud, it's commercially loud, it plays back against – well against other tracks. Mm-hmm. It's a good mix. And not change the tone of it or change mm. the, the the way it's moving. So mm. It's very difficult because mm. it's so easy just to be a little bit too fast on the compressor mm. and then it pumps. Mm. It's so easy to drive it a little bit too hard and then it starts to break up. It's mm. v- like there's a fine line to balance there. And that's that's more of a tricky balancing act. It's mm-hmm. super easy with a bad – actually, I shouldn't say super easy. I'd say <laughs> it is much more forgiving with a bad mix – to start cranking distortion into it and reshaping yeah. it because you've got that, you, you can be liberal in that sense to be like, oh, I'm going to add two decibels to the top end and because it genuinely needs it. Whereas mm-hmm. with with a very good mix, it's like you can very quickly just throw things out of mm-hmm. whack. Yep. Um, now you don't only master, yeah. you mix as well. Mm-hmm. What does a good mix session look like to you? A good mixing session. Yeah, well, I mean, like wh- receiving stems, for example. Oh, okay, that's know. simple. Like uh, typically uh, a producer that is signed off on the production, the artist is signed off on the production, everybody loves the way things are sitting. Mm-hmm. That means getting it all sent to me as though I've got the production session in front of me. So the stems get sent to me wet, mm-hmm. not dry, wet. I drop it in, mm-hmm. I press play, and everything sounds as per the production mix people signed off on. Great. Because if they're signed off on the production mix, that means any changes I make there on moving forward mm-hmm. is an embellishment, is a is a step from that direction, almost like a relay race. Mm-hmm. You're running a relay mm-hmm. past the baton. Okay, running a relay past the baton. I don't want to do this thing. Like I hate, I don't hate, hate's a hard word, but mm-hmm. it really irks me when people have bad experiences with mixing engineers because they sent across dry stems mm-hmm. and then the mixing engineer has reproduced the track mm. because they put their own reverb, they put their own effects and this, that, the other, and it doesn't resemble mm. the production mix which an artist signed off on. Mm. And it's like, okay, well, that's that's a bit... That, you just undermined the mm. whole process which has come before you because a producer spent all this time adding reverb, delays, this, that, the other. Mm. You've asked them to take it off so you can do it. Somebody already signed off on the other mm. one. So, yeah, that, that's just at least just my take on how I'm working with mixes because, yeah, it gets really, really, really good results yeah, for clients. Beautiful. I mean, it, it makes sense because the the producer, the artist is used to hearing the song the way that they're used to hearing it. Exactly. And then if it goes off and changes it completely, they're yeah. like, what happened to my song? And, and, and I know so many mixing engineers and even myself when I was starting out, I would always get this like uh, – I like the demo better. I like the demo mm. better. Mm. And it was because I was working from the dry stems. Mm. If I'd work with the demo or the production demo mm. with mm. those wet stems, I wouldn't have had the issue of having to rebuild mm. yeah, those productions. Absolutely. absolutely. But, you know, that's self-inflicted, I guess. Yeah. What are your favourite things to work on in a mix? Do you love drums? Do you love vocals? 
no, when it all works, yeah. it's just everything, yep. things I don't like, are, you know, there's like little one shots and effects and things like that. <laughs> they're just sort of like, they're, they're not an afterthought. I shouldn't say anything's an afterthought, but I, I sort of push them towards the end mm-hmm. of doing them just because it's like, oh, I got to automate these and mm-hmm. there's so many little details and I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, it's so much more fun when you're like got a baseline, you can like get that sounding good or the drums smacking or the vocals, like mm-hmm. really, mm-hmm. you know, like any of those elements are so much more fun rather than like a, a one bar riser. It's like, it's, yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. It, it, it's, it's funny. Those little elements because like, you know, everyone calls them ear candy, but they, they're intended just to kind of grab your attention. And I know. Like, oh, that's, that's and, and you got to, you got to do it. You're going to be careful with them because mm. they can ruin a mix if you get yeah. it wrong, but it's not, it's, it doesn't make me like excited about no. the song yeah. so much yeah. as though it's just there as an auxiliary item. Yep. Yep. In terms of, um, your workflow is, been refined and refined over the years. Um, what what sort of hacks, for lack of a better term, uh, did you have to put in place um, to to make your workflow flow a lot faster? Because your time's important. As someone that has a very busy life, you know, you're working on a whole bunch of different stuff. What sort of workflow um, things did you have to implement to make your life easier? Um, templates are one. Templates just easy, mm-hmm. not not because it's like you just throw everything in and then it pops it out. It just means that you've got your routing set up, you've got your tools that you usually use in front of you. Mm-hmm. Um, templates are a good one. Um, macros with the uh, what's it called uh, automator on the Mac, right? Creating yep. macros for file uh, folder automation and exporting and things like yeah. that. Um, that makes things really quick because just yeah. there's no point you know doing a whole f- new folder hierarchy for every project if you have 800 projects a year yeah 800 times how many folders is in a in a project maybe 15 <laughs> folders 15 times 800 you know that's that's that that many times of clicking command n yeah. is like is, is, is a whole album getting mastered yeah, you know like so crazy. having macros is good templates yeah. um yeah those are probably the two main things yep Having Dropbox is good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You should have Dropbox. Don't use other stuff. <laughs> just, we've just, had this conversation. We've had this conversation. <laughs> it's just it's just so much, you know, just, just pay the money, get it. Mm. Um, you know, so many people use like uh, Aldi versions, I'm going to call it, of, 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 of file sharing. And, you know, Dropbox, you know, there are certain things it can't do or it's a little bit more expensive mm-hmm. and whatnot, but... It's just so clean and easy to use the way it synchronizes number one. Mm-hmm. And uh, number two is you the way you can send out links. People just download it. It's, it's quick. It's easy. It's, yep. it's good. Uh, there are other services, even popular ones, which are just like really clunky to use. And I always get frustrated when I get <laughs> sent mixes from them. <laughs> it's No, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's funny. Like we're making it sound comical, but it, it's so true. Like the, the improvement of workflow not only in sessions and mixes and mastering sessions and whatever else is like the other side of things that can just make you think less, right? (laughs) That's just the point of being good at business, good at your craft. You don't have to think about those things. I don't upload anything. Yeah. I work from the cloud. Yep. So that way, like when I have to send off, masters they're mm-hmm. already in there there's already a link generator mm-hmm. for it it's all there mm-hmm. as soon as the invoice gets paid it gets sent off i don't mm-hmm. have to go oh drag it in then look mm-hmm. at it, like, upload 60 percent, 70 it's just, mm-hmm. it's just there doing it as i'm working on it so mm-hmm. beautiful let's um start to wrap up i want to um i want to know if you have any kind of key 
Again, this is probably a very difficult question, but key bits of advice that you might have for anyone that wants to get into the mastering game, the mixing game, first of all, and then we'll talk artists, but beginning with, you know, mastering engineers and mix engineers, any crucial bits of advice that you think people should know? Hmm. Crucial bits of advice. You need to work fucking hard. Mm. Like... It's easy to get plugins. It's easy to get gear. It's easy to do a few mixes. Like I said, when I was freelancing for a few friends, who were going to be nice to you. Mm. It's another thing, keeping your skin in the game year on year and actually putting the effort into making sure you're serving people as, as good as you possibly can and giving them the output and giving them the satisfaction your clients need. Um, so yeah, don't, don't ever think just because the, the gear is accessible and that you can do a good job because there are a lot of really talented mixing engineers out there that aren't practicing as a viable business, mm. that it's easy. You, you have to be able to put the work in. Mm. Yeah. That's very important. I, I, yeah. Anyone, you know, anyone can download all of the plugins that a professional mix engineer has for a relatively cheap cost. Um, and get a decent sounding mix. Um, but you're right. The, the actual other side of things when it comes to business, when it comes to, you know, interactions with peers, um, they're, they're the intangible things that you need to work hard on and, you know, get better at, I think as well. So yeah, really good point. What about artists? What about the, the, the artists that you might work with, um, on a one-to-one basis or, or even just advice for artists that are communicating with, their mastering engineers or anything like that. Do you have any advice for them? Well, if, if for the first one, the the, well, the second half of that question, artists mm-hmm. communicating with their mastering engineers. If you've got a producer or a mixing engineer, use them as a middleman. Mm-hmm. Okay, use mm-hmm. them as a conduit to, to to articulating what you've been through in terms of putting that record together, in mm-hmm. terms of helping that master engineer understand what you're going for. In terms of artists and careers, mm-hmm. at the moment, um, I see a lot of artists doing incredible stuff mm. okay mm-hmm. and that's where it ends for me because i have no fucking clue how they're doing it <laughs> I, it's, it's it's like it, it, it is a really it, it's a really hard landscape out there for artists mm. and um i would be bullshitting my way through to say oh you know you just got to apply yourself you're going to have multiple streams of income you're going to do this you're going to be patient with yourself crap like that it's like no i i genuinely don't know yeah. how because i'm working with 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 some artists that are racking up big streaming numbers mm-hmm. um and how they're doing it. Yes, they, they might have managers and they got backing and this at the other, but they still have to put in so much effort and I don't know how they got to that position. Mm. I'm just not in that game deep enough to to make a comment that I think people should be taking on because that would just be bullshitting <laughs> my way through. No, that's cool. Um, any Anything that you want to share with anyone that might be listening, um, what's coming up, any cool news that you can share or anything that you've just worked on that you want to talk about? Yeah. I will because I always get asked this and I never really get the opportunity to plug my own stuff. Um, Go for it. But if any of the technical stuff Stu and I have talked about has sort of piqued your interest or got you excited or you're interesting in mastering, 
I did, and you're an electronic music producer. I think that's specific. Okay. I have a mastering for producers course I put out with EDM prod. Now, not plugging it because I'm like, oh, you know, you know, 3,000 students have watched this and it sounds, and, and everybody's doing great and it's awesome. And, you know, you're going to become the next, you know, mastering <laughs> engineer at Sterling Sound or whatever. No, no, no. Um, the, the course is me genuinely putting together my applied knowledge of being in the industry and working on masters day in, day out. Yep. Um, and... Yeah, it's 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 something of high value, which I know, you know, people who engage in it and are genuinely interested in that side of it will get mm. something out. If you're just sort of piss, pissing in the air and going, oh, you know, I'll, uh, I'll, give, it I'll give it a go, yeah. but I don't really care. Well, then maybe it's not for you, but if, mm-hmm. if, if it's something that you're passionate about and you want to understand more, deeper understanding of audio and mastering, th- th- then it's something that you'll definitely get value of. So I have no shame in putting that out there to yeah, the world. Beautiful stuff, man. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Where can people find you? Yeah, uh, on Instagram, panorama underscore mastering, on YouTube, panorama yep. mixing and mastering, my website, panoramamastering.com.au. Um, all good places to, to see what I'm up to and engage in engage in just my love for audio. Beautiful. Well, I always love chatting to you, man. Right. Thanks again for joining me. And uh, if you loved what you heard today, um, you can follow us on socials, Instagram, uh, YouTube, um, you know, share it with a friend. That's how we can get this uh, information out there. And uh, once again, thank you. And we'll see you next time on What's That Sound Podcast. Thanks for listening to What's That Sound. Make sure you hit follow or subscribe on your podcast platform to stay up to date with each new episode. We'll catch you next time.